Hello everyone, welcome to PwC TaxBite podcast series. In this podcast, we're going to dive into the administrative guidance which was very recently published by the OCD on Pillar 2. My name is Peter de Ree and I'm happy to be your host here today for this podcast. And I brought with me a couple of uh, colleagues from our Pillar 2 expert team here in PwC Belgium um, to comment on this uh, administrative guidance. And first of all, I have uh, Evie Geerts. Evie is an uh, international tax expert, uh, lots of experience. Also with the US and, and the link between Pillar 2 and US, we have Yoni Gekire. Yoni um, yeah, was working very hard on tax technology and linked with Pillar 2. And Maxime Allard, who is an, uh, an expert in the tax accounting um, aspects of Pillar 2. So I think with these people in my recording studio, I have um, some, some interesting experts to talk about the administrative guidance. Now, it has been long awaited. Eh? Before Christmas, we got a few bits and pieces. But finally, after many months, the OECD published the administrative guidance. So um, my first question is actually, and Yoni, perhaps you can you can help me with that. What is actually in the administrative guidance today? Yes, good morning, Peter. Indeed, uh, the administrative guidance actually covers the most urgent questions that were um, asked by the businesses and by other stakeholders. And they bundled the, their answers in, 11, uh, in 111 pages and they covered 26 items. Uh, they divided that in five different chapters. They covered uh, some questions on scoping, also on income uh, and taxes. There is a chapter on application of global rules for insurance companies, uh, some additional information on the transition rules, and then also some uh, some ideas on the qualified domestic minimum top-up tax. Okay, yeah, thanks, Jenny. I think the idea of the OECD is that, you know, I think they clearly say this guidance will be included in a new update of the commentary later this year. So they, they want to um, uh, create one central point of guidance. Um, and they also indicate, I think, that, well, uh, they will continue to work on additional guidance if certain issues come come along uh, during the implementation of Pillar 2. So that, that's good to know. Um, but okay, almost 120 pages. There's a lot in there. Uh, in, in terms of scoping, Yoni, is... is um, is that uh, long-weighted, that guidance? Is it is it a lot of useful guidance we have now? Yes, indeed, Peter. There is some very welcome additional clarification in there, especially for other currencies, where they implemented um, a kind of streamlined way uh, to, to change the euro thresholds that are in the globe rules to another currency like US dollar, for example. There are also some examples in there on investment entities and the interaction of the relevant accounting rule for consolidation and the globe rules and as well some very welcome additional clarifications on the excluded entities definition um, which will be useful for a, a lot of our clients i think yeah indeed thanks Jenny. and and yeah indeed for some some groups uh, have not a straightforward uh, structure legal structure and then indeed i think the examples uh, which are included will be very helpful and what i also found um very interesting is that there's now a full chapter on the uh, qualified domestic top-up tax. So, Evie, I think this is the first time that we have guidance on this topic. Huh? 
Yes, Peter, and uh, I think it's very welcome guidance because this um, is obviously something we didn't have a lot of details on. And also Europe is quite clear that they are going to allow uh, a qualified domestic top-up taxation. And I assume many territories within Europe will look into imply, applying that, um, that option. Now, um, what do we know or what is important as key takeaways? It is kind of the first step of your computation. So um, it comes before everything else, basically in a nutshell, obviously there are some exceptions, but you will first determine your, at the level of the jurisdiction and then um, very similar to the globe rules, um, compute your domestic top up taxation. Um, what is important to um, keep in mind is that um, although obviously the mechanics of the globe rules will apply here, there is a bit of leeway or some degree of customization uh, uh, possible to the qualified domestic top fixation for each individual jurisdiction. So they will have the opportunity to tweak it a little bit to make it fit with their local um, uh, tax legislation. Um, so again, good that we have that additional guidance but we need to monitor local implementation as uh, the rules also say uh, that with that customization um, even if there are slight deviations and greater incremental tax liability occurs the um, taxation could still qualify as a um, domestic top-up taxation under the globe rules Another one uh, important to note is that um, you will also need to do a separate return for this. Um, so yet another um, layer of uh, complexity when it comes to compliance. So uh, overall, I would say, Peter, very welcome uh, additional guidance on the qualified domestic top of taxation, but um, still a bit of leeway for territories or jurisdictions to implement this and another layer of um, administrative uh, compliance burden uh, to apply uh, in this respect. That was it a little bit uh, on the qualified domestic top of taxation. Maybe one to add is that I understand that uh, they will also look into how this will fit into the safe harbor rules uh, that were issued earlier uh, in December. Yeah, thanks, Evie. And uh, linking to your uh, experience with uh, the US and, and, and guilty, I think uh, also that is an important uh, topic throughout this, uh, this guidance. Yeah? Yeah, and it's uh, indeed also maybe a little bit linked to that qualified domestic top-up taxation, but I'll come to that in a minute. Um, the other thing indeed that is very welcome is the confirmation that um, how guilty will be it uh, in the framework of the uh, Pillar 2 rules. As you know, guilty is not a qualifying income inclusion rule, and it has now been confirmed that guilty will qualify as a blended CFC tax regime, so a CFC uh, regime under the Pillar 2 rules. Um, they qualified as a general rule for similar systems, but throughout the text, you will see that they clearly refer to guilty and also the guilty rate. So uh, it is something that's, that us obviously put in place uh, with guilty in mind. Um, so what is the complexity with guilty? As you all know, it's computed on a global basis, not a jurisdictional basis. That is also one of the reasons why it's not a qualifying income inclusion rule. And the difficulty has always been how you then um, allocate the guilty taxation to the different jurisdictions that it's applied to as it's a global calculation and it's not uh, attributable one-on-one -on -one to an entity or a jurisdiction. So there is a um, 
there is guidance in the document um, on how you do that um, that allocation. In a nutshell, you would allocate um, based on the jurisdictions with the lowest ETR. So basically, a portion of guilty in the end would probably end up with the jurisdictions with the lowest ETR anyway. But, and I think that is a very important one um, for, for our clients, um, Belgian and European headquarters um, that have uh, U.S. groups in the U.S. groups in their group with non-U.S. participations. Um, the qualified domestic top-up taxation, as I said, is the first step. So um, guilty allocation will only happen afterwards. So also in that framework, it will be uh, yet another complexity to see how that qualified domestic top-up tax is credited or um foreseen in the guilty rules and how that then slows up in the income inclusion rule at the level of the parent entity. Um, another important one to keep in mind is that the rules for guilty or for the uh, blended CFC tax regimes are only um, transitional rules. So they would apply for uh, the first years um, under the pillar two rules and um, we will need to see what happens afterwards. Yeah, I think that's particularly interesting. Eh, what you you just explained, Evie. So, if you if you think that through from an, a compliance timing perspective, um, it will be extremely difficult, I think, for for groups to well um, first file the qualified domestic top up tax return. That tax should then be taken into account probably by the CFC regimes in, in that are applied throughout the group. And then afterwards, your income inclusion rule will again take into account the outcome and allocation of the CFC charges. This is, um, yeah, I think a very good example of the complexity um, we will face. Um, now, another topic that often comes back is the 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 famous provision 4.1.5. And for those who are not um, able to um, uh, know the 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 rules the rules by heart, that's a provision basically that uh, forces top up tax in situations where you create excess uh, tax assets. Um, and Maxime, let me ask you here, does the guidance solve this issue? And perhaps you can explain briefly the issue first. Sure, Peter. Um, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, in, in the administrative guidance, uh, we have received uh, additional information on how to handle those situations. And uh, yeah, to take a step back, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you, you have actually two, two specific situations that can happen. First, uh, the one covered by 4.1.5. So that's a situation indeed where uh, you, you, you have a group uh, loss and you have as well a negative adjusted covered taxes uh, amount due to the fact that you are creating a different tax asset. To the extent that uh, the, 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 the negative adjusted cover taxes um, are less than 15% of the group loss, then it you have um, in practice uh, an additional uh, top-up tax which needs to be paid according to 4.1.5. Second situation is uh, the automatic, I would say, application of Article 5.2.1. That's a situation uh, where you would have, uh, 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 in practice, a negative globe ETR. So an, an, uh, an ETR for pillar two purposes, which is negative, then it would mean that you would have, uh, in principle, a top-up tax, which could be higher than 15%. So the, 
the the uh, the concept introduced in the administrative administrative guidance sorry is the concept of excess negative tax expense carried forward that's uh, something new which is uh, basically a global attribute uh, to or for the ME group which can be used and uh, in practice how does it work it works um, uh, as such that you you do not need to pay that additional top up tax uh, for example uh, the additional top-up tax related to 4.1.5, you do, do not have an additional cash out directly, but that is an attribute, which means that you will need to carry forward that amount to the next year or the years after as well, and then uh, to, to deduct that amount from the adjusted cover taxes in the future, which will impact, of course, your uh, Pillar 2 ETR in the future. What is interesting is that... Um, um, uh, procedure is actually elective for article 4.1.5 so this is optional it can be applied uh, for what relates to the automatic uh, application i would say of article 5.2.1 this is uh, uh, on the contrary mandatory which means that uh, this uh, this system needs to be applied in uh, in uh, in practice so all in all i would say that uh, the administrative guidance are giving interesting insights uh, but uh, of course again uh, they are adding complexity on complexity uh, on that matter yeah thanks Maxim. yeah i think to, to, to summarize i think uh, it's good that the option is, is foreseen i think if you are confronted with top-up taxes that you need to pay while building up tax assets uh, of which you are not certain that you will effectively use them then this, this option is, I think, a useful add-on, uh, but it adds indeed another layer of, uh, of, of complexity. It seems to be a bit um, the, the red wire throughout our discussion here, eh? that, that um, the guidance is, is very welcome, clarifies a lot, but on some point seems to not solve certain complexity. And I think that is the same, if I may be honest, also with the, the chapter on transition, uh, on the transition rules. So um, yeah, the audience probably knows that there are specific rules on the transition, uh, meaning that if you transfer, for instance, an asset within the group uh, after November 21 and before the pillar two kicks in, eh, that there are specific rules that aim to avoid that you create a step up um, on, on that asset transfer and a depreciation, which would then have an impact throughout the pillar two calculations in later years. Eh? So there is a specific rule on that. And yeah, on the one hand, the guidance confirms this. And eh? so if you, in a, in, a, in a basic case, you would transfer an asset from a country with a 0% uh, corporate tax rate to a country with a 20% corporate tax rate, while the guidance is confirming that the step up you create will be disallowed for pillar two purposes. Now, there was a lot of concern on this rule, obviously for double taxation, um, because there can be, well, genuine asset transfers within the group for which, um, um, yeah, if no step up is granted, you create an effective double taxation under pillar two. And here, um, the, the, the guidance is providing a lot of uh, examples to, to clarify this point, um, trying to solve partially this issue of double non-taxation. And it, it comes down uh, to the fact that if you transfer an asset in the transition period based on this guidance, you could claim a step up up to 15% in the country that acquires the asset as long as there has been taxation in the country where the asset is being divested from at least taxation at 15%, or if lower, your step-up will also only be recognized for the lower percentage. I think, again, complexity, because this will require 
uh, all of us to trace back all asset transfers that happened since November 21 until the Pillar 2 rails kick in to make an analysis of whether you get a step up under Pillar 2 and for which amount you get the step up. So I think, again, very useful that there is additional guidance. It helps, I think, in a number of situations where there was a risk on double taxation, but it adds uh, quite a bit of complexity and we will still need to digest a lot of this uh, in the coming days. Um, Perhaps, uh, Maxim, um, although we touch now on most of the aspects of the guidance, but I have also seen some developments uh, next to this administrative guidance um, from the FASB. Um, is that perhaps also something you can briefly mention something on in this call? Of course, Peter. Uh, yes, indeed. On, on the 1st of uh, February, so two days ago, the um, uh, FASB has, uh, has published um, a, a document uh, further to a meeting they had, and the purpose was to, to discuss actually uh, Pillar 2. And then they concluded uh, that uh, Pillar 2 could be considered as an alter al sorry, alternative minimum tax uh, for uh, US GAAP purposes. And as well, uh, they concluded that uh, different taxes uh, didn't need to be to be recorded for differences between uh, US GAAP and uh, the, the globe tax base, I would say, which is uh, interesting because uh, totally in line uh, with uh, uh, what uh, has been published until now uh, from an IFRS point of view. But the, the only difference so far is related to the fact that the disclosures are, uh, have not been uh, tackled. So there is no comment from the FASB on the disclosure requirements um, for Pillar 2 purposes, at least so far. Okay. Thank you, Maxim, for, for that. Um, I think, um, yeah, this was a, a pretty good summary, I think, of what is in the guidance, uh, which was published very recently. Obviously, we will need much more time to digest all of this and and come back to you either in this podcast or in another way with, with further insights. Um, but um, yeah, I think it shows that uh, Pillar 2 is definitely moving forward now. And with this guidance, I think we can solve uh, quite a bit of the uncertainties that, uh, that were on the table uh, beforehand. So uh, with that, uh, I would like to thank um, everyone uh, for tuning in to this podcast and also my speakers, of course, Yoni, Maxim and Evie for their time um, to, to share this with you today. Thank you. Have a great day.